Today's episode is sponsored by Dwalla. Dwalla is a fintech company helping clients solve a fundamental business problem, how to best move money. Payments are a key component of every business, yet one that can be difficult to understand. Dwalla's ACH Payment API removes the complexity involved in moving money to and from bank accounts, so businesses can continue to focus on their core revenue streams. ACH transfers are efficient, reliable, and with Dwalla's API, they're available for any business. With a developer-friendly, white-labeled API, businesses can seamlessly integrate and brand the entire end-user experience while empowering teams to focus on generating revenue and company growth. Dwalla is at the forefront of a payments revolution, having created a ready-made connection to America's money-moving network and is ready to help your business scale. I've partnered with Dwalla for over two years and can vouch for two important aspects of their business. Solid, reliable technology and amazing customer support. Dwalla enabled our team to achieve same-day pay on our platform. And if my team needs anything, we can rely on Dwalla's support team to get an answer quickly. Start building against Dwalla's API in the sandbox environment today for free. Visit dwalla.com slash codestory to get started. That's D-W-O-L-L-A dot com slash code story. I was a non-technical business graduate from UNC Chapel Hill, but knew I wanted to be a founder and specifically of a, of a tech company. So I, I actually went to a coding boot camp learned how to code through that and that was the single best decision i've made i got to the point where i said i need to be able to build my own ideas my name is bernard worthy i'm the co-founder and ceo cto of Lonewell. this is code story a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and on today's show, how Bernard Worthy consolidated madness and built the square space of loan origination. All this and more on Code Story. Bernard Worthy loves to travel the world with his wife. He loves to spend time with his family and stay connected with his friends. Born and raised in Atlanta, he is a longtime entrepreneur and technologist, spending many years in consulting and startups. Through some research and discovery, he figured out that community lenders were using multiple disconnected systems to accomplish important tasks. He set out to solve this problem, to bring all of these systems under one piece of software under one roof to make the loan origination process more efficient. This solution would come to be known as Loanwell. Tell me about Loanwell. Tell me what the company is and how you got started with it. So Loanwell is a custom loan origination platform for community lenders. So credit unions, community banks, loan funds, private lenders and brokers were, were basically like 
a customizable end-to-end origination platform, kind of a, a, a banking operating system for these smaller financial institutions that don't really have access to uh, great technology, don't have great products off the shelf, and frankly, the products off the shelf don't really serve their needs all that well. When I say kind of end-to-end loan origination, it looks like everything from the borrower's application, kind of getting started. It's a white label front end for one of these financial institutions. Let's say it's a, a loan fund in Louisville, Kentucky. They have a branded landing page where their borrowers can come on and, and apply directly on their website. There's user account management, there's underwriting, uh, there's servicing, moving of money, electronic signature, and, uh, and reporting uh, all kind of built in into one. So what we realized was uh, after talking to a lot of financial institutions, especially community-based lenders, they were using disparate services all over the place, you know, anywhere from five to 10 different services to really do one job. And uh, we thought, man, can we bring all of those things under one umbrella and in one house and really bring a lot of efficiency to the process? Bring the loan officers, bring the underwriters, bring the accounting team, the legal team, the approvers, the credit committee, all in one system and have task management and have reminders and have emails going out uh, such that the lenders that are giving the best and most affordable capital to the folks who need it the most, uh, small businesses and consumers, communities all over our country, can continue to deploy the most affordable capital. And if we can kind of bridge the chasm that is community lenders spending 90 days to kind of originate a $50,000 loan and your biggest banks, you know, underwriting you in six minutes based on something as simple as eBay data or your Amazon store data, then we're really, we feel like we're doing a service to community development as a whole. And so not just a scalable platform or business, but we hope scalable impact as well. That's interesting. So you bring in lots of different types of data or systems, or you kind of link them all together or link together multiple processes to create, but a central hub for loan providers. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Kind of our model is, we like to say, hub and spoke, very similar to a Salesforce uh, in the early days where you're you're the central data lake, data warehouse, and you push and pull out to third parties. So we're not going to build a, a CRM to compete with HubSpot, but we can integrate with it. We're not going to build uh, a GL or general ledger like a, like a QuickBooks, but we can integrate with it. If we're the kind of central repository for all of your portfolio data, as well as loan application intake and forms and documents and uploads and, and we're doing all this securely, then there are a lot of you know efficiencies to be had and, and still use some of your other favorite tools that exist out there. So you mentioned HubSpot and QuickBooks. What other third parties do you integrate with? Yeah, Salesforce is a big one. You know, it's Salesforce is funny. A lot of people jumped into Salesforce at some point in the last uh, five to 10 years. And uh, I've never heard someone say, man, we're really just nailing our Salesforce instance. You know, uh, I, I feel like a lot of people are always kind of tweaking and kind of playing around with it. And just that, that, that particular integration led us to kind of collecting a ton of events on our site. So we roll our own analytics tracker 
and we're able to capture you know anything from page views to clicks to changes of inputs and so it really works well when you're pushing out to a CRM or a pipeline tracking tool like a Salesforce or like a HubSpot because we, again, are kind of that central repository for all of that event data. And it really helps with the reporting side of things. Um, so we're able to you know, give you a customized dashboard where you and your team can kind of create as many dashboards as you want with your own queries and your own visualizations. But again, when you have those third parties like a QuickBooks or like a Salesforce, or Metro 2 files, so I'm you know, submitting a credit file to a bureau. You know, we have a, a bunch of different hooks uh, that we can integrate with. Tell me about the MVP. Let's take a step back to building the first version. How, how long did it take to build? What tools did you use? And, and tell me about kind of the decisions and trade-offs you had to make early on. We started a company in 2017. We've, uh, we've certainly been on a journey. Uh, you know, I'd say our... Our startup story has been trying to find product market fit. We feel like we've finally found it in this enterprise product. But when we first started the company, it was direct to consumer. So we were essentially facilitating loans, peer-to-peer loans between individuals, uh, people in your community, or small businesses raising money from you know 20 people uh, in their friends, family, peers, coworkers, network. And really, the premise there was there's is a ton of opportunity for alternative finance. Uh, a lot of it could happen right around us in small amounts, and and does every day in the you know to the to the tune of billions a year and uh, friends and family, community-based lending. And so we thought, man, can we um, be the platform that is the conduit and facilitator for that type of transaction? And so our first MVP was uh, literally a uh, just a, a web application where you could log in, fill out a form. That form was basically the, the basis of your loan application. We generated a, a document for you to sign. And, uh, and that was it. So we put that up just to see, hey, would somebody pay $29.99 for a formalized process to create a legal promissory note to lend someone money? Like, would somebody do that? Or was it just kind of a, always gonna be a handshake kind of agreement under the table kind of thing? So our, our MVP was very much not something uh, that we were all that proud of, but I, I think that's kind of the story with startups. Like, if you're not embarrassed of your first uh, product, then uh, you 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 spent too much time on it, um, and you didn't launch fast enough. So you kind of touched on this a little bit, but how has the product progressed since then? So you, you built the MVP; it was different than what you're doing now. Tell me about that progression technically and how you matured it. Thankfully, we started. Um, with with an architecture that we could really amend and adapt over time. And that was really the architectural decision at the outset. It's like, can we develop a, essentially a bunch of lambdas, a bunch of different uh, microservices that we could easily add a new microservice, we could easily remove one, we could spin up a dynamo table, we could spin down a dynamo table, we could add a new endpoint to our gateway or take one away. So. That has been the single best decision that we made at the outset is the serverless architecture. You know, we weren't worried about a, a load balancer and a cluster VC2s and completely changing our design and, uh, and our, our product. We 
uh, really just adapted over time and, and modified over time. And so, yeah, the, the architecture itself is pretty much the same. Uh, we've certainly added a ton of services, certainly added way more sophistication on kind of real-time events tracking and uh, kind of the multi-tenant uh, piece of things on the enterprise side. Um, but again, I think the, the core of it is still uh, an SPA that's driven by an API and adding more and more, you know, as we go. So you started out, uh, you and your team started out with microservices, with dynamic kind of backend from the get-go. What I hear a lot is, you know, we started with a monolithic architecture and then when we ran out of bandwidth on that, we converted to microservices but you kind of you kind of started on the on the on the microservices end and that's worked out for you yeah you know it was uh it was one of those couldn't have drawn it up uh couldn't have anticipated it but um you know prior to launching Lonewell, again kind of our team's been together for a little bit we were we were at a software consultancy and so we we're building new tech all the time so every single week we you know had a new project and we're scoping out something new and what's the best tech for the job and we were really on the pulse of, uh, of kind of microservices as it was really kind of hitting the mainstream in the developer community and especially when serverless.com was really kind of blowing up I would say you know four or five years ago and so because we had done this type of architecture for the likes of uh, startups to fortune 100s you know we felt really comfortable with it and it was something where we said gosh I don't know of an instance where I would literally just launch a server image or you know run a, a node server you know or an express server with uh with some basic views uh when this just gives us so much more flexibility uh, not only am i you know generating an api that my web front end can digest but you know down the road if we wanted to build a mobile app you know our back end stays the same and so not coupling the back-end server with the front-end code was something that was always really attractive to us. And, you know, we didn't want, to your point, uh, to adopt some monolithic architecture or, or framework that uh, ultimately we just, we didn't know what we didn't, what we didn't know yet, you know? And I think there, there's a lot of upside, I'd say, and flexibility in, in something like a uh, serverless framework and even if it's not serverless if you're you're developing an api that can be adapted quite easily uh and you have a you have a client that's digesting that information however it needs support for today's episode is brought to you by dev mountain dev mountain is one of the highest rated coding schools in the country employing experts who are passionate about sharing their craft and empowering the next wave of programmers through their bootcamp, they accelerate education by focusing on modern skills to align their students with the needs of the tech industry. They offer a variety of courses from web development to UX design to iOS development. And their hands-on approach enables students to launch their careers or build their startups and ultimately to achieve their goals. I can personally vouch for the quality developers they produce, having hired six graduates from their Dallas campus. Not only does Dev Mountain teach the practical skills needed to build software, they give their students a foundation to amplify the necessary creative thinking, problem solving, and project focused skills required for tech professionals today. You can find out more information about their programs and how to sign up at devmountain.com.
That's devmountain.com. How do you how do you go about building your roadmap, deciding what's the most important thing to build next? Man, you know, you're you're talking to a, a product guy and designer front end guy more than more than anything else. But I think of what I've had to learn the hard way and I've done this failed at this plenty of times. Uh, you know, I think our natural tendency as technologists is to just dive right in uh, and start building. And I, you know, I failed at this earlier today, actually. <laughs> I totally had, uh, had some really important to-dos and I just got so excited about some of the uh, custom dashboard stuff that we're working on. And I just totally spun up an EC2 and played around with it and got something working. And, uh, you know, I felt accomplished, <laughs> but then my to-do list was still the same. And I think, uh, you know, for, for me as a former software consultant, building a client, but also consulting on their behalf. I kind of came into Bonewell thinking, oh, I, I know what's best. You know, I've done this, I, you know, I'm good at wireframing, I'm good at thinking through the product, I'm good at thinking through, you know, what the needs are and what you're trying to accomplish and getting it down to a minimum desirable product. I don't like to say viable, desirable product. And, um, and what I realized in kind of building a startup is none of that really matters. What really matters is what, what, what does the customer say? Uh, what does the customer need? And can you talk to enough customers to find some commonality across the entire sample size such that it's very, very obvious what is next? And that's hard, you know, and, and I wouldn't say that that's kind of the end all be all. Certainly, as a startup team that's primarily engineers, we have intuition and we have to be ahead of, of the curve and we have to be ahead of our customers and that's certainly part of it. But I would say uh, I've certainly learned over these last you know, couple of years um, to do more listening than, uh, than building. That's, that's really paid dividends for us over the last you know, six to nine months. I, I think this, uh, you know, our, our kind of direction and where we're headed and, and how fully featured you know our product is is, is really a direct reflection of uh, sitting down and having a lot of conversations and what's really great i think about that and a lesson uh for that i would share with anybody uh, especially early stage founders is the more customer discovery you do the less guessing you're doing you know the startup journey is uncharted often and it's difficult and you find yourself kind of grasping for uh, some source of truth or guidance and uh, the more unknown you can kind of cut out uh, the better and especially when it comes to a product roadmap you know if you've got 10 customers telling you yeah i really need an integration of salesforce <laughs> and then uh sounds like you need an integration of salesforce you know that sounds simple and i think in practice if you actually do make it a point to, to talk to enough customers often, it is actually simple. What sort of tools do you use to move money back and forth on your platforms? Out of the gate, MVP, we were trying to use PayPal, trying to use all these other tools that are that are out there for P2P payments and ease of transfer. We realized we just needed to be in control of the movement of money a little bit more. And so we started looking at the ACH payments and figuring out how to do bank to bank transfers. 
and I remember, you know, literally talking to an EVP of a bank somewhere in New York about trying to start our own FBO, trying to start our own pass-through account to move money on behalf of other accounts. And, you know, it sounded interesting at the outset. We build this process that's more IP for the company or obviously spending less money on movement of funds. And uh, But then you get into the regulatory issues with it. You get into the KYC. You get into how ACH actually worked. You know, it's SFTPing. I didn't want any part of it. It was something that seemed like a, a means to an end to what my product actually was. And it didn't feel like we were adding a ton of value by trying to reinvent the wheel there. So we started exploring ACH payment platforms and we looked into Dwala. We looked into Synapse, uh, some like Currency Cloud and others uh, that weren't exactly right in line, but we, we thought maybe there was a interesting opportunity, especially with the international, you know, lens. And at the end of the day, we, we started playing around with Dwala and their sandbox. It was fantastic. It was exactly what we needed. Quite simple. Documentation was really well done. And I think the sandbox being so fully featured was a huge part of why we chose them. And I'd say another big selling point for me, you know, we were building a product that we wanted to be as modern and consumer friendly as possible with KYC being such a big part of ACH payments. We wanted something that could give us kind of synchronous ACH verification or KYC verification. And at the time, Synapse uh, couldn't do that. And none of the other providers really had great solutions for that. Dwala felt really seamless in that way. You know, we could blink a bank account in less than a couple minutes. Uh, that certainly felt like it was the best fit to, to make us as consumer friendly and scalable as possible. So we've been a Dwala customer ever since and we've loved it. I mean, you get a dedicated account manager and you feel like you have a direct relationship with some of their uh, development and support staff as well. And they really are there for you. I mean, I talk to our account manager every other day. There's a return from the bank or if there's uh, something new that we're exploring with a client, they're, uh, they're always available. Uh, very proud customer of Dwala and, and really appreciate their partnership. Um, so tell me about your team. Tell me how you built your team and how what you looked for in the people that you hired uh, or joined up forces with and how did you choose the winning horses? This is something I, I think we're most proud of. We're a very intentional, kind of missional-driven company. And, uh, you know, we take hiring very seriously. My co-founder uh, had a microfinance background. Uh, his name is Justin Strait. He had kind of led banks in the Congo and Haiti and Rwanda and had really extensive experience kind of doing this size loans that we help facilitate through our platform and had done them in a variety of uh, locations and, and capacities. And so it was really the start of this company was, hey, you have some microfinance experience. Hey, I have some technology experience. What could we do together? Uh, and we were friends before and kind of just whiskey and cigars on, on a back porch as friends, shooting the breeze and and thinking through, man, what, what are better sources of alternative capital in the United States. And we have both kind of done different options for alternative finance uh, in different times of our lives. And we just both felt that the right injection of capital at the right price at the right time 
uh, in somebody's life could be transformational for an individual or for a business, uh, for education, for buying a home, whatever it might be. And we just kind of fell in love with that notion like hey can we can we solve that can we can we help um that happen more often and so we we linked up and that was kind of the the founding team and then the the team that we've brought alongside us really has been kind of specialized to how we want to grow and so we're we're engineering heavy we have three engineers including myself and and my co-founder we're still a pretty small team of four and we you know certainly contract out some of our marketing and consulting and we have advisors all over the place but um you know our, our team of four is is very uh, specialized and i'd say our, our senior architect is a serial entrepreneur his name is sam taylor uh he's kind of sold to the likes of linkedin and microsoft and uh, so he just brings a wealth of entrepreneurial experience and and software experience and We've worked together for the last five years, and uh, and our newest teammate Lee Gillum is new to engineering, but also kind of that missional component. Really desires to to see alternative finance have a have a, a strong place in our communities all over the country. So um, yeah, we uh, we are really proud of our team. Excited to continue to grow it. And in a former life, I was uh, in talent acquisition uh, for a Fortune uh, 100. So tell me about a mistake you made as a team or individual, or and how did your team respond to that? If you don't think you're making mistakes, then you're you're probably either not moving fast enough, or you're not being honest to yourself. I made mistakes just today. There's always kind of the client success, customer support type responses that seem small but can add up and i think i us as a team and myself i'll take full responsibility don't always own up to when it's our fault you know it's kind of it's easy to try to absolve yourself and and roll it roll it into kind of a bigger problem oh yeah this was the issue we'll get that wrapped up or it was actually your fault <laughs> you know i think it's easy to kind of point fingers I'd say a a bigger problem beyond kind of your day-to-day customer support responses is kind of direction, product direction. You know, we really we started the business with kind of this grand vision, you know, mission-oriented, heart-driven, you know, co-founders, and we didn't really fully test uh, whether or not someone wanted to buy what we were solving. You know, we knew that there was a, a huge need, and where there's a need, there can be a solution. But I think this kind of goes along with that same train of thought of kind of listening to your customer. You know, incessantly, we didn't do enough of that at the outset, and it led to a couple product iterations and, and pivots to where we are now. And I guess I would say, you know, those early stage mistakes of building before vetting. We're pretty costly in terms of time, in terms of finances. But to your point of kind of how you respond to that, we never really, we we never really gave up. You know, it was one of those things where we just felt like, man, product market fit is right around the corner. Even in our, you know, our worst moments, we we're like, no, it's not <laughs> right around the corner. This is really hard. There was still that drive 
to figure it out. You know, we knew we were in a big enough market with big enough problems, and we just needed to find the right customer. And for us, you know, this this direction of enterprise loan origination platform from what we originally started at really started from a customer conversation, asking a local financial institution if they would refer some of their clients to us that weren't quite ready for their more serious underwriting process. And they said, yeah, 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 we'll refer people to you. But the tech that you just demoed, can we license that tech? Like that's better than our tech. And we said, well, tell me more, please. What, is, what does that mean? Um, and that, that kind of started really a lot of conversations with these financial institutions. And our customer changed from the borrower paying us in some kind of way to the lender paying us. And it's a, a very different model, but the same mission. And so what's really cool about that, and I'd say just kind of inspiration for, for any startup out there, is again, kind of listening to the customer and finding the best product market fit, not assuming anything and really vetting your product, even when it hurts, even when it's hard, even when it seems like it's not worth going on, keep pushing and and trying to find the right customer, the right market for the right price. So what does the future look like for Loanwell and your team? We're excited about the future. We are We are constantly adding more and more functionality that we hear about from our customers. Some of the latest stuff that we're working on, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is kind of a customizable dashboard where you're able to create your own dashboards by different users and user types and permission levels. And you're able to send out reports at any kind of cadence that you want. Really, really excited to launch that at the end of the year. We are also working on some optical character recognition stuff. You know, with lending, there's a ton of documents. Uh, there's a ton of paper. There's a big paper trail. And for us, we're like, man, if we could use OCR in some really intelligent ways, again, we kind of boost that efficiency. We help these lenders uh, do more loans uh, and and make more money at the end of the day, save time and, and make more money. And so we're, we're applying OCR to tax returns and financial documents and ripping that data down and, uh, and auto-filling and pre-filling that information into their underwriting model. So we can kind of import your Excel analysis, whatever your underwriting model is, into our application and then pre-fill uh, whatever we rip down via OCR. Some really cool stuff uh, that, again, will kind of speed up things and, and allow for a lot of kind of manual data entry to be automatically captured by some of this technology. And and really our hope is that we continue to move upstream to bigger and bigger financial institutions. You know, there's, again, like I said at the outset, this chasm between community lenders, foundations, uh, loan funds, brokers, and the best tech out there that's kind of uh, built in-house at the largest financial institutions. And if we can continue to move upstream and close that gap for credit unions and for community banks to have the same level and access to great technology, uh, we think there's a, a huge future uh, in this country and, and 
you know, the, the huge goal for us is can we develop a model where a credit union, let's say, in Los Angeles, who's developed a really great kind of leading indicators for how to underwrite to the Latino community out there, can share their underwriting and their knowledge with a credit union in Harlem? Can a loan fund in Louisville, Kentucky, who um, does more character-based lending that really captures a lot of qualitative information, you know, expose how they're doing that with a, a loan fund in Mexico? Um, is, is there possibility some of these shared models and the type of data that we're capturing and using machine learning and all this other stuff can better inform communities all over the country and all over the world. You know, that's, that's our huge kind of pie in the sky goal at the end of the day. Name an architect, a CTO that you look up to and tell me why. Um, we are huge fans of Airbnb, huge, huge fans of their culture, their leadership team, their design, their product philosophy. Their dev team is stellar. We mimic a lot of what they do uh, in a lot of ways. I do think, though, being a product guy myself, I think what Joe Gebbia and the team there have built at Airbnb is really special. In my opinion, I feel like they've pioneered design frameworks or systems, you know, having the idea that this thing should live in lots of places and this kind of containerized, componentized uh, world that we live in as front-end engineers uh, these days. I feel like they're really kind of uh, advocates of that, you know, probably seven, eight years ago. And so I'm always, uh, always been inspired by their story, uh, to be frank. They have a pretty non-traditional it's it was not an overnight success kind of thing for them they had plenty of times where it didn't work they were scraping together their funds to make it happen and i think their ability to be resourceful is something that you know we really pride ourselves on as well so from a from a technical standpoint from a product standpoint from a business standpoint joe and and brian chesky are uh, we're big fans of theirs. What advice would you give someone just getting started on the startup road, the tech road, um, any of the paths uh, that you've taken? So, I mean, this is like partly my story. I was a non-technical business you know, graduate from UNC Chapel Hill, but knew I wanted to be a founder one day and specifically of a of a tech company, you know, the businesses in my family were always the industries that we knew and they were industries that you had to punch the clock. And I wanted to build something that was beyond me, that could go beyond me and, to, and that could grow beyond me. And that seemed like technology. I could never really find the right team. I remember early ideas, not related to Lonewall at all, but early startup ideas. I was on the phone at three in the morning with teams in India and trying to put together MVPs. And I just, I got to the point where I said, I need to be able to build my own ideas. I think I have enough of them. I think this is certainly a passion of mine. I wanna go and figure out how to do it. So I, I actually went to a coding boot camp five years ago, learned how to code through that. And, um, and that was the single best decision I've made uh, in my career. You know, these programs that are 12 or 16 weeks or even longer, some of them, 
they're just there to teach you how to learn. They're there to teach you how to think and how to break into this industry. It is then up to you to kind of put your 10,000 10, hours in and certainly did a lot of that. So I'd say for somebody that's trying to break in, that's maybe non-technical, even if you uh, don't anticipate being kind of the, the technology lead or anything like that, I think in this day and age, if you're building a technology company, you have to have some knowledge of it. You have to understand the inner workings. I'm the best salesperson for us right now because I know how it works. I know what it's capable of and I know what it's not capable of. At some point that won't be the case, but you know, in the early days, you know, when you don't have a lot of uh, resources or capacity and you have a ton of constraints, I think it's one of those things that uh, non-technical founders uh, should certainly kind of learn a little bit about why their stack is what it is and how it works and the different decisions that are being made. I'd say if you're a technical founder, you know, it's never been easier to launch something. It's never been easier to start something. Uh, so something that we think about on a weekly basis, uh, when we're thinking about new features or products, we, we try to figure out how to add more and more IP to our stack instead of just leveraging something else that's out there uh, off the shelf. You know, if we can uh, continue to build LoanWell in a way that all these disparate systems live under one hood, you know, that that hood, you know, is primarily our IP, then we're, we're constantly making our company more valuable. When, you know, there could be other architectural decisions that you're essentially just hooking into a bunch of stuff and you are kind of a process you're a workflow management kind of thing there. You're just hooking from one uh, service to another. And so, yeah, I'd say focusing on uh, developing the best IP, focus, focusing on uh, listening to your customer and, uh, and moving in a direction that is constantly adding value to the company, I think is, is super important. It's not always easy, but again, kind of finding that product market fit as early as possible and nailing your niche. Well, Bernard, thank you for being on the Code Story podcast. Thank you for your time. Thank you for telling the story of Lonewell. Well, this is a, a real pleasure, man. Thank you for having us on. And I'm always recruiting. So uh, if anybody's intrigued uh, about our team and what we're working on, we'd love to chat with you. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is a production of TouchTap LLC and is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart and edited by George Macharco. Special thanks to Deanna Chapman and Stephanie Campisi for their promotional support. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Breaker, or the podcasting app of your choice. Make sure to check us out at CodeStory.co or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn.